I don't know how many messages I've preached since I've been pastor, but Brother Kenneth told me a few weeks ago that we had logged how many blog spot? 700 on the blog spot since he started that. That makes me tired thinking about it. But I come one more time. My good friend, Brother Clark, sends his greetings tonight, and he told me to tell you that I needed to be easy on you because you're good people. And I said, well, I don't plan on being mean. He said, well, just be careful. They're good people. So I'm going to try to take his advice, preach to you from my heart tonight. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read one verse, the very first verse of the second book of Peter, the third chapter. A man writing who not long, perhaps a year or less, from the writing of this letter would give his life for the gospel that he preached and he believed. Not feeling worthy to be crucified in the way that his Lord and Master was. He, according to history, was crucified upside down. These were some of his parting words to the church that he had helped nurture His preaching on that first day had spawned a revival that had swept around the known world. At one time in Jerusalem alone, there were over 120,000 baptized, spirit-filled believers. It spread throughout the world until it came to the point in Acts where the disturbed Romans said, these are they that turned the world upside down. I want you to look at what was on his heart in those parting moments. He said in this second epistle, Beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. That I stir up your pure minds By way of remembrance. Verse 2 said that you may be mindful. Everybody say mindful. Mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. And of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Everybody said amen. A stirring. Everybody say a stirring. Say a stirring is needed. Amen. I want you to put your Bibles down. I want you to reach over and take somebody by the hand. And I want you to ask the Lord to give us an open heart for his word right now. In the name of Jesus, all over this congregation tonight, God, I pray that your spirit would move right now and open the minds of your people. God, there is nothing that I as a man can do. I am only a vessel. 
I only bring that word. It needs the anointing of your spirit to our hearts. That word is anointed already, but we need it anointed to our hearts. We need it, Lord, to delve deep into our soul. In the name of Jesus, we pray, God, that it would be so. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This second letter of Peter was written to a group of believers that had gone beyond the initial stage of their birth and infancy as a church and as a movement. And now years were passing and time was moving on and along the lines there were things that were needing to be addressed. Along with Jude, uh, Peter wrote of the last days that that particular statement for Peter represented two things. It represented the fact that he knew that his time was short and these were his last days. But the reality of the fact was that he was looking ahead to the literal last days. And he already saw things coming on the horizon that stirred him to speak and write the things that he did in his two books here at the close of the Bible. He wrote of some critical issues that were part of the closing hours of time. And in our text tonight, Peter refers to many of those things if you go ahead and read on down through the remaining part of chapter 3. But he begins that chapter by saying, It is my object. It is my purpose. It is my intention to do everything that I can to stir you. Everything in me is doing what it can to somehow wake you up. And help you realize the time and the hour in which we live. He said, it is my purpose to stir you. It is my intent. And I like what one translation says of this. When he said, I want to stir you, the word literally means I'm going to wake you up fully. Now, I don't know how hard it is for you to wake up, but, you know, I've, I've, I've had a few times when it took more than a, hey, it's time to get up. It's time for you to rise and shine. I needed somebody that would be persistent enough that when I laid my head back down, they would keep pulling on me. And not if, if that didn't work, then come on, let's get up. we got a day we've got to face. So that I would be fully awake. There's too many times around church that we get stirred and we wake up for a few moments and then as soon as the preaching's over with, 
we go back to snoring. And Peter said, I'm going to stay with it until I get you on your feet. I'm going to stay with it until your eyes are open and I can see clarity there. You know, there's some people that sleepwalk for the first 45 minutes of the morning just like zombies. You look in their eyes and you can see all the way to Mars because it's not registering there. They go into the kitchen, they get a cup of coffee. It takes them a while before they finally start coming around to realize, hey, i got to get with it. This is the day the Lord hath made. I need to rejoice and, and even do more than that. I need to get to work on time. Amen. I wish there was some other folks here I need to say that to. Get to church on time. That's what I need to preach about. He told me to be nice to you tonight, so I'm going to try my best. But Peter said, I, I'm, I'm of a mind that I'm not going to let you go until I can look in your eyes and understand that you're getting what I'm saying. And so he said, I'm going to stir you. I'm going to shake you. I'm going to prod you. I'm going to annoy you if necessary Whatever it takes to get you fully awake so that you are actually cognizant of what's going on around you so that you can prepare yourself for what is to come. And he said, I want to do this by way of reminding you of some things. I want to remind you of the word that's been spoken into your life. The word of God that's been preached to you. Not only that, I want, to, I want to remind you of the commandments that we as apostles have spoken to you. They were not part of the law, but they were part of what God had given to that church to help keep them holy, separated, and pure. You say, I don't like church traditions. Well, it doesn't matter if I like them or not. It is important that I understand there are some things that need to be a part of my life that may not be written in black and white in this book, but they're good for me to live by, and they will make my life better if I will live by those commandments. Amen. And so he was there with his effort in stirring them. But what I want to draw your attention to in particular is the statement that he made in regards to who he was speaking to. He said, I want to stir up your pure mind. Now that word pure is interesting because it comes from a Greek word that has a duality of meanings. It means either something that has been sifted so long until every admixture or every impurity have been shaken out of it and you have nothing but the pure grain left. That it has been sifted and sifted and sifted and sifted and sifted until there is nothing but purity left. 
not only means that, it means that this thing has been worked on so much and it has been given such careful attention that it is literally flawless and you can hang, you can put it up into the sun and you can examine it by the light of the sun and you would see how pure it was. Now to you and I, that may not mean anything, but back then, jars of clay were a vital part of their family culture and the structure of their home. It's what they kept their oil in. It's what they kept their water in. It's what they kept whatever other drinking elements or whatever food was held in jars. But some of the potters were not so careful. And so when they would get through with their product, they would have cracks and fissures that would cause or allow the oil to drain out. And so the real wise man would say, I know how to fix that. And he would take wax and he would melt it into those cracks and crevices. And and then he would paint over that so that when you looked at it, you could not tell if it was genuine or pure or not. The only way you could tell of what you were buying was to lift it up in the sun and the brightness of the sun would show if there was any wax added to it. Now those were the people that Peter was writing to. He wasn't writing to the backslider. He wasn't writing to the cold and indifferent. He wasn't writing to the lukewarm. He wasn't writing to the Sunday only Christian. He wasn't writing, writing to the one who only comes on holidays. Peter said, I'm writing to the best of the best. I need to stir you. I know there's some times that we get to feeling like we have lived long enough. We don't need preaching. And I read a post somebody put on Facebook the other day. Some of the most ludicrous stuff I've ever read recently. That church is not for the redeemed. If it's not for the redeemed, then who is it for? It is for the redeemed as well as the lost. But Peter and Paul and James and John did not write to the ungodly or to the unsaved. They wrote their letters to those who had been born again, filled with the Spirit, and there is continual encouragement in their for them to be connected as a church family and a body. Amen. And so Peter is writing to people that have no flaws. I mean, they've lived for God long enough. They've worked out all the kinks. They've lived for God long enough that they know how to live for God. They are good people. They are the saved and the sanctified. Amen. Come on, somebody help me. They were the best people of the church. And Peter said, you're the one I'm preaching to tonight. So put your shovel away. Get your pitchfork and throw it to the side because what I've got to say, you need to receive yourself. As pure as they were, Peter understood something about all of us, that no man 
is beyond the danger of deception and no man is beyond the danger of disillusionment and no man or no woman is beyond the danger of corruption. And Peter said there is a corruption of the flesh that is going on even now. And when I look into the future, I only see things moving further in that direction. It is possible for the mind of the godly to become dim. It is possible for those who pray the most to become actually disconnected to the very God that they pray to because it becomes a matter of habit, not heart. They do it out of ritual, not because they are looking for a deepening of their relationship. And I am afraid that there are many people in this day that have grown cold, that know more about church than every demon in hell, but they cannot be stirred or reached because they have allowed themselves to become encased in the hour in which they live. And they cannot be moved. And Peter said, I understand that there's enough flesh left in all of us to get us in trouble and be a concern. That none of us are beyond the possibility of growing sleepy. That none of us are beyond the possibility of slipping into a lukewarmness. And so I want to stir you. I want to get you by the hand and shake you until your eyes are clear. And you can stand on your feet and you can hear the word of God and respond to it. Because I don't want you to get to the place where you act out of habit, not out of heart, for the things of God. Amen. Most accidents, they tell me, happen within just a very few miles of your home. Most accidents happen when you're close to the end of your journey, according to statistics. Why? Many reasons, I guess, but I think most probably it's because of the weariness and the monotony and seeing that same stripe pass you a 100,000 times until you get into this zone mesmerized. Last Sunday night we left church. Horrible accident up here. I have no idea how that car wound up wrapped around that pole. There were two or three people that were killed. But how could it happen? And I would dare say that you could probably go stretch a marker from that pole and you would find their home not far from this location. But it was late. Maybe they were tired. Maybe they drank too much. I don't know. I just know this, that the further you go along the journey, the harder it is to keep your mind alert and awake. And the longer you go in this thing called life, the easier it is for you to start straying from one side of the road to the other. And Peter said, hey, I want to come along and I want to take you by the hand and say, wake up, wake up, wake up. Come on. This is the end. We're close to the closing hour. Don't go to sleep now. Don't let something slip away now. Don't walk away from what you've been given now. Amen.
They were fine people. They were fine people, but they needed to be stirred. And as much as I love this church and I love you, I need you to be stirred. I need to stir you. I'm not mad at you. I don't mean that you haven't done enough. That's the whole, that, that's not even the point. I didn't come to aggravate you either. And that sometimes I think that's what people think my preaching is all about. They just, he just wants to agitate me. No, I'm not here to agitate you. I, I could find another way to do that. But I am here to try to stir something in you tonight. Something that would cause you to shake yourself and realize. You know, maybe I am growing a little bit cold. Or maybe I'm not praying like I need to pray. Or maybe I'm not walking as close to God as I need to walk. Maybe I'm not as godly as I need to be. You say, Brother Hughes, why do you keep hounding on that? Because there is a spirit of seduction in this hour that's telling us that that is not a part of Christianity. That all that is is an outward show and only what's on the inside matters to God. I've come to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. What is on the outside does matter to God. And there is in this hour a seduction of our minds. And it's not happening in, in yards. It's not happening in miles. But it's happening in inches. That slow encroaching. That slow ebb and flow of the tide that erodes the bank of the river. It's that movement that you can't even detect. It's imperceptible. But if you look at it and you come back a year from now, the terrain, the whole view is changed because of the natural process of life. And Peter said, that's what I see. And I need to wake you up. I need to alert you. I need to get you on your feet and make you realize there is an ebb and flow of life that if you're not careful can, can cause things to be pulled away from you. You didn't even know you let go of. I'm not here to make you feel good. And I don't want to make you feel bad, but I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm not here to sit around, hold hands together and sing Kumbaya. Come by here, Lord. Come by here. My goal is to do my best that when I stand before God, I can lift my hands and say, they are clean, God. I've done everything that I could do. They may not be saved. They may not have made it. But it wasn't because I didn't try to somehow get into their mind and wake them up. There are fine people. They were praying people. They were godly people. But Peter said, you need to be stirred. I need to get you by the hand and pull you up on your feet and wake you up. I'm not preaching to make you mad. I am preaching to do something in your soul that will make you aware that this is the end time. This is the last hour and I cannot afford to be lost at this hour. Why was a stirring necessary? Because we contend with time, the Greek said, which wipes all things away. Time that wipes all things away. The human mind is like a slate and time is like a sponge which 
passes across it with a certain erasing quality. And if we're not careful, we don't become bad. We just become forgetful. We forget what it was like when we came to the altar that first time and sin was so heavy on our back. And all we could think of is if I could just get this burden off my back. If I can just get this ugliness away from me. And that moment when it happened, when you gave your heart to him and he removed that load, what a wonderful feeling. But you know, it's amazing to me that the longer people go in life, the more I find people going back and letting that burden of sin be put back on their back. And what they were so desperate to get away from in the beginning, they grow accustomed to living with in the end. They throw off the burden and then they allow it to sneak back in in little things, little things, inches, not miles, just inches. We need a stirring because our need is not so much to be taught in life but usually it is to be reminded of what we already know, lest those things slip away. Lest those things slip away. Why do we need stirring? Because we get used to things. We, we get to the place where they don't offend us. You know, there's something that's happened in our culture, and it troubles me more than anything that I know of. But our culture has lost the ability to be ashamed. And what really makes me even more disturbed is there are a lot of people around the church that have lost their ability to be disturbed or their ability to be shamed or feel ashamed. The prophet said they don't even blush anymore. They don't even blush. They're... There's not even something in them. You know, a blush is a reaction because you're not ready for that or it embarrasses you. And so there's a natural reaction of the human body and blood flows to, to, to the surface and, and we turn red and people laugh at us. But that's a normal reaction. And the, and the prophet said there are a people that have come to the place that when things that ought to stir them and cause a reaction. Nothing. No shame. No, we don't hide sin anymore. You know, it's amazing, the boldness of sin. And you say, Brother Hughes, why are you preaching to us? Because you're the best people I know. And you need to be stirred. You, you need something to get in your mind and spirit and make you aware. We're not living in a culture that likes what we represent. And they are doing everything in their power to tear down and to unravel. Have you ever noticed Something, how things unravel. I wish I had a garment I could unravel before you. You just take one little snag, one, one little string that hangs down, and you pull it, and it gets longer. And it's amazing. You watch that thing just zoom, 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 zoom. A 
until all you've got left in your hand is a wad of twine unraveling. And that's what happens in life. There's a little pull and, and then everything that we say we are, that we believe we are, those things begin to come apart. You see, we need to be stirred because we grow cold without knowing it. We grow cold without even knowing it. Do you know if you sit long enough, your feet go to sleep and they get cold? At least they do at my age. Why? Because there's not enough blood flowing down there. But you know what? That happened to me when I was a kid as well. My feet go to sleep. Anybody ever have your foot go to sleep? You try to get up and walk on it, you look like a a spastic. Why? Because something's not... Why? Because you stayed in one place too long and and the blood, the circulation got, got cut off. And so you need a stirring every once in a while to keep the blood flowing so that you don't get cold and, and not even know it. It's like that man and wife that were in bed one night and, and the, 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 uh, I think it was the man woke up and he felt this heavy lead uh, Oh, something on him and he thought oh my lord somebody's broke in the house and they're trying to press me and hold me down and uh, the long story short it, it was a leg that had gone to sleep his own body and he jumps up out of bed to try to free himself from this, this captor and falls flat on the ground and all the time it was him his leg, it happens. We, we not only need to be stirred because we get cold, we need to be stirred because we forget. How many of you remember everything that's ever happened in your life? Why? Some of us can't even remember what we ate for dinner this afternoon. We just forget. We don't mean to. We don't intend to, but we forget. And so in order to keep us from forgetting, if we keep that stirred up, that's why we keep pictures around. Do you know the absence of pictures will cause you to forget certain aspects of your life? I don't remember some things. Sister Casey, just right before service, Brother Long brought some pictures, beautiful pictures of years gone by. But you know what? If you don't ever see that, Your mind has a way of erasing that. And you don't remember those things. I know my sister has all of our family photos. And every once in a while, she gets them all out. And we start going through. You think, man, I don't remember that. But it's me. I know I was there. But time has a way of erasing. And Peter realized that that happens to the best people. Not backsliders, not cold, not rebellious, not hard-hearted people, but the very best, the pure-minded people. Those that are doing everything right have a tendency in life to forget. There is the seductive power of the years that go by. And as they go by, things begin to get a little fuzzier and a little more blurred. And, and we relax or we let down our standard or the seductive power of time makes us seem that maybe those things are not as important as they 
used to be. You know, I've matured in a lot of other ways. Maybe I need to mature in what I believe. You know, when I first became a parent, oh, let me go back before that. When we found out we were going to become parents, I thought I knew everything about raising kids. I didn't need anybody to tell me what to do until we had one. And they will educate you. Hmm. They will educate you. There's a lot of things about life that I've learned. I've mellowed out. There used to be things I used to get just so bent up about. I still get stirred up about stuff. But there used to be some things just make me nervous. I just, but now I'm older. I'm chilling. I just let it go on by. Irritates the fire out of some people. But you know what? I've gotten used to it. And the sad fact is that years do that to all of us. And not only do they do it to our natural life, but they can do it to our spiritual life. And Peter said, I need you to be aware of that. There is a seductive power of time that seems as the years go by to make things less important. Maybe it's not that necessary. Turning away from the truth to something else. Maybe not full error, but Maybe not full truth. How easy it is to become influenced by the prevailing error and teaching of the day. We need to be reminded of what we ought to believe. It's what Paul or Peter was writing. I need to remind you of what you ought to believe. I need to remind you of what brought you here. What caused all of this to begin with? What put new life in you? What caused you to turn around and become the people that you are? I need to remind you of what you should believe. And then I need to also remind you of how you ought to behave. How you ought to live. Because there are seducing spirits that are all around us. And so Peter knew that there were two dangers that he wanted to make his people aware of and he wanted to awake them to one of them was a doctrinal issue even then at that early a stage in the church there was already the encroaching spirit of seduction that was beginning to weasel its way into the church and become part of the belief system of those early believers and the truth that had been taught was already coming under the withering attack of the liberalists because they lived. The church had been birthed in Jerusalem, but it spread to the world. And in the world that it spread to, the ideology of that world was there's room for more than just one God. You're too narrow if you only believe in one God. The Romans believed that there were multitudes of God. And when the church stood up and said, No, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's when the persecution came. That's when they were put into prison. And it wouldn't be long until Nero would call them the scourge of the earth. 
and begin to slaughter them wholesale. Not because they were just Christian, but because they believed there was only one God. And that one God had been manifest in the flesh and was called Jesus. And that world and that culture could not accept the fact that there was only one God. And I'm telling you, it hasn't got any better. And we are now living in a culture that is pressing the idea on our young people in school that they need to open their mind and broaden the scope of their mind, that there's room for more than one God in our world. Tell me it's not so. Tell me I'm not preaching to you the truth. Pressing the idea of a plurality of gods was already going on. I want to read to you just a portion of what one historian said. He said there were a lot of sources of opposition that existed then. But in 2 Timothy, Paul mentioned Alexander the metal worker who did him a great deal of harm. He said he was probably one of those whose living came from selling the images of various gods. And when these people were converted and they put away their idols and they began to serve and worship one God, it made him mad and he rose up and began to persecute and fight Paul and the church in every way that he did. But that didn't stop the ripple effect of disbelief. The ripple effect of this transformation was now it reached into the butcher shop. And the meats that had been offered to these gods was no longer being bought and sacrificed to those gods. Because these men and women believe that there is one God. Their hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord. And they would not deviate from that. And because they would not deviate, persecution came. You mark my word. It will not be long until you and I will also come under that same persecution. We are already being looked at as narrow-minded and bigoted. And how arrogant of you to think that you're the only one that knows anything about God. It is not that. I'm the only one that knows but I have found a revelation and I have received a truth that I will not go back on and I agree that here O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord later the butcher sold that sold the meat to the pagan sacrifices lost their income because the people were forsaking the temples Emperor Nero would soon formally accuse the Christians of hatred of mankind. Isn't that what the homosexual crowd saying about us right now? We hate, we're haters. We're haters because we preach that that kind of lifestyle is contradictory to what the Word of God says. And so we are portrayed as haters of mankind. And many of them were put to horrible death. The Roman world was used to multiple faiths, all tolerated and existing side by side, just as in the modern East. A person may be both a Buddhist and a Shintoist, 
the Roman world saw no problem with one person worshiping many gods or having several religions. And Christianity challenged that thinking. Christianity rose up and said, no, that's wrong. There are not many gods. Paul stood on Athens Hill and he said, I perceive that you are quite religious because I see all of these gods and images and idols that are to all of these different gods and I find one here to the unknown God. That's the one I've come to preach to you about. He is not unknown any longer. He has manifested himself and revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And it was for that message that they ran him out of town. Christianity challenged the thinking that there was only one God. And the Christians refused to worship the emperor. They refused to let themselves be open to the charge of treason. Or they did leave themselves open to the charge of treason. They disturbed families with their insistence on total allegiance to one God. Many refused to serve in the military and to worship the legion eagles. And all in all, the Christians were becoming a disruptive force in society. Now you tell me, that's that's not happening right now in America. There were some doctrinal issues. Paul or Peter said, I need to get you. I need to make sure you still believe this. Are you awake? Are you listening to me? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Do you get that? Not only that, but I believe that Peter somehow goes back to the whole litany of things. Isaiah 43.10 Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, and the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I need to remind you of that tonight. I need to wake you up and look in your eye and remind you that there is no other God beside Him. Isaiah went on in chapter 44 and said, Ye now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water course. One shall say, I am the Lord's. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. 
and another shall ascribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. And who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them shew unto them. Fear you not, neither be afraid. Have I not told thee from that time? And have declared it. You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. I believe that Peter took them to the writings of Paul. And said, let me remind you that without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness, for God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the Spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. He was received up into glory. He goes to Ephesians and reminds them, There is one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He goes to Corinthians and reminds him to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And he takes them to John's writing. And he said, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Hallelujah. Even if the world calls me bigoted, I cannot go back on what I know. That here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You say, I don't see it. Well, you need to just stay around long enough till you do. Because... There are no other gods. None beside him. Amen. Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad, I can take you to their burial place and to the sacred shrine that marks where their bones reside. But if you go to Jerusalem, you're not going to find bones only an empty tomb that said, I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of water. This spake he of the Holy Ghost that had not yet been given, but it was coming. 
And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams. You hear me tonight. You must repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and unto your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall come. Hallelujah. Jesus said, except you repent, You shall all likewise perish. Jesus said, except a man be born again of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Marvel not, and I say unto you, that you must be born again. What is born of the Spirit is spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. The Spirit, the wind, blows where it desires and you cannot see it but you can feel the effects of it and the evidence of its presence is known that's what Peter said I've got to remind you you say why us we believe that I know and that's who he was preaching to everybody that believed it but he said this is the last hour and it's real easy for you to let the seduction of this culture and the seduction of ideologies and philosophies get so mixed up. That's why Paul said, don't be deceived by the philosophies of men because men's doctrines get mixed up with God's Word and we make it something that it's not. He said, go back to what it said in the original. Go back to the beginning. It was not so in the beginning with you. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. We need to contend for the faith that was once delivered. Not duck our head in embarrassment that we believe that there's only one God. Say, well, what if they crucify me? Join the ranks of the martyrs. Join the ranks of those who were not afraid to give their life. Polycarp had been taken to the stakes and bound. And before they lighted the fire that would consume his body, they said, we're going to give you one more moment, one more time to recant and go back on all this message of truth and one God and spirit and all this. You've got a chance to go back. All you've got to do is just recant. He said, how can I recant? How can I go back on one that has been so good to me? And they said that as they lit the fires and his body began to burn, that there was nothing but praise and glory on his lips. 
you know what? I don't want to die like that, and neither do you. But if that's where my life ends up, then so be it. But I will not go back on what I believe. And I will not let the seduction of this hour try to press me into feeling that I need to give room or I've, I've got to make latitude. I've got to make allowances. You know, you've, you've got to be a little bit more liberal in your thinking. I love the world, but I want to tell the world there's only one God and His name is Jesus. He manifests Himself in flesh. He came and dwelt among us and He is the only begotten of the Father and He is the only way. Everybody say the only way. I am the way, not a way, the way. Oh, hallelujah. Doctrine was an issue, but that wasn't the only issue. The other issue was lifestyle. Lifestyle, the way that they lived and beheld or or were beheld as a people. And if I could stir you tonight, I would want to stir you to embrace your separation more than you ever have. Amen. Amen. There is a way of life that is becoming of a child of God. And that way of life is under attack tonight. There was the deceitful denial of their mark as a people of God. There were elements that slipped in and said, that's not necessary. That's law. That's tradition. That's just a man. Remember what Peter said? I want to remind you of the word that's been preached to you and then the commandments that we as the apostles have given you. That you hold on to those, that you not let them slip away. You know what? There may be a lot of things about living for God that when we get to heaven we find out we're not necessary. But I don't think that's going to bother us in the least. But I do believe that if we get to the pearly gate and we realize one of those things that we laid down that we let a culture press us into believing wasn't essential, it's not necessary, that's all works That's all external. That's just man. That's you. God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy. And God looks on the inside, not on the outside. And so you lay down certain things and aspects about living for God. I believe with all of my heart that if we come to that day and we look back and we realize if I'd have held on to that, that would have made the difference in my life. I believe it's time for me to remind you that we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, everybody say wherefore. 
Wherefore, wherefore, wherefore. Go back to what I just said. That's the reason why. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you and be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I need to remind you tonight that no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame is turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. And follow peace with all men and holiness. Everybody say, and holiness. And holiness without which no man, no man, no man, no man shall see the Lord. That's not my doctrine. That's not a Pentecostal doctrine. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. I need to remind you that behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they are appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Amen. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We live in the time that Paul spoke of in his second book to Timothy. Perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of them own selves more than lovers of God. Blasphemers, disobedient, unthankful, unholy. It's amazing that those two things go hand in hand. That when people become unthankful, it is not long until they become unholy. Esau was given the birthright because it was his right as the firstborn. But somewhere along the line, he became unthankful for what belonged to him. And he sold it. For a bowl of pottage. And the Bible says in Hebrews. That later on. He, was, he is called a profane man. 
a profane man. That word profane, two words that means before temple. He put other things before the temple or he put other things before God. He became a profane man. And though he sought for repentance, he could not find it because he could not get back to the place where he needed to be to embrace the fact that there is one God and his name is Jesus and all of the other things that go along with that. But more than that, more, 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 more than that, because he was unthankful, he became unholy. Profane. Amen. Paul said that's the day that's coming. That's the day we live in. But he goes on to say it's going to be worse than that. He said in that day there will be people who profess themselves to be Christian. They will profess themselves. They will maintain a form of godliness. But they deny the power thereof. Now what does that mean? They maintain a form of godliness. Beautiful church. A lot of people. I don't know. They maintain some kind of semblance that leads the mind to think that's a child of God. That's a Christian. But they deny the power thereof. And I got to thinking about that. What is the power of the gospel? What, what is the power that they denied? The power that they denied was the spirit of submission that made them or cause them to release all other gods and let go of every other belief and let go of every other ideology and embrace that one God, that submission to the Word of God was where the power of godliness comes from. Ladies, your hair is not an issue of a Pentecostal church. Your hair is an issue of submission. When the Bible speaks of a woman not cutting her hair, it is not laying a burden on her. It is bringing to her a fact that to be a child of God I need to live my life of submission in such a way that no matter what God asks of me, I am willing to do it. You say, it doesn't make sense to me. There's a lot of things about Scripture that don't make sense to me. But I'm not here to argue with God. I just want to submit to God. The Word of God said to men, we are to lift up holy hands without everywhere that men would lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. There's a lot of things that men get by with. 
It's a, lot, it's a lot more evident among women when they're not doing what they ought to be doing sometimes because it shows in the external. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the heart of men that they can hide and they can cover over and they can pretend that doesn't exist. And the Lord said, that's where you're going to have issues. You're going to have issues on the inside. You're going to have a hard time being honest. Honest with yourself. Honest with your family. Honest with who you are. And honest with where you are and he said what your responsibility is is to make sure that your heart is in such a condition that you can lift up holy hands without anger without resentment without a spirit of 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 violence and vengeance amen i just came tonight to stir you a little bit to remind you That we live in the encroaching time of many things. But let me remind you in closing, and you you can stand, of what what, what what a stirring can produce in a person's life. A stirring can produce a new vigilance, a new awareness, a new... Mindset. It, it can maybe make you more sensitive to certain areas and things. I, I need to be more careful. I'm not trying to see how little I can do to get by and live for God. Amen. I'm not trying to see how little God wants of me. I'm not asking Him what the minimum standard is. I want to know Him. I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. And if I'm going to know Him, I'm going to know Him fully. I'm going to know Him in every way. God, help me to never get to the place that I am unthankful. That when I look around in my life, I don't realize how blessed I am. I get crossed with my spouse or I get crossed with my friends or I have a falling out with somebody in the church and I fail to realize that this has been my salvation. If it hadn't been for the church, where would I be tonight? I don't ever want to get to the place that I am not thankful for where the Lord has brought me from. I have been blessed. God has been good to me. He has given to me far more than I deserve. But if I'm not careful, I get to the place where I expect that from God. That's my right. I'm entitled to it. God, I've been living for you for 50-something years. You owe me. God doesn't owe me anything. I owe him everything. Thankful. 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 Say it with me. Thankful. 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 Because I want to remain holy. And I realize, please don't misunderstand me tonight. I realize holiness is not something that you put on. Listen to me. 
Holiness is something that you allow in. It is a spirit. It is a spirit. And you allow it in. And then that spirit begins to transform the whole man. Attitude, spirit, mindset, desires, thoughts. But I don't ever want to get to the place that I am not thankful for where the Lord has brought me and the many, many blessings that have come my way. Because that unthankfulness can be the beginning of an unholiness in my life where I don't value the things that God values. You know, I can't get away from the scripture that says that I am the temple of the Lord. I am the temple of the Lord. I am his dwelling place. There's something about that that when I look in the mirror, I have to ask myself, am I being all that I can be for him? I want to be more like him. I want to be pleasing to him. But a stirring will produce a vigilance in your life. It, you say, well, you say, I don't need that. I don't need that. And I've been living for God 40 years, 50 years. I know all that. I don't need that. If I don't need it, then why did Peter spend so much time preaching To the pure mind. Because he knew that even the best of us still have enough flesh (laughs) there's still enough flesh in me that can cause me to stumble. And so I need to bring it to an altar. Amen. I need to bring it to an altar all the time. Said, Brother Hughes, that's a terrible way to think and live. No, that's just a safe way to live. You don't know me. You think you do, but you don't know me. You don't know how bad I could be. You don't know how mean I could be. Some of you think I'm the sweetest guy on the face of the earth. Well, I've got got news for you. But there's an old man inside of me. It's not like that. And that's why I've got to keep him close. I bring him often. Not because it's a ritual. Not because somebody made me. But because I want to know him. And I want to walk with him. And I want on that day. I want to hear him say. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of heaven. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Can I be stirred tonight?
Can I be stirred tonight? Or have I grown so accustomed to my backsliding or so accustomed to my coldness or my carnality that I'm quite content to just keep living with a form of godliness but denying the power thereof? For it is in obedience to the gospel and submission to the gospel that the power of the gospel is found. The reason some people do not find the overpowering or overcoming power of the Holy Ghost is because they have a problem submitting themselves to God. Can I be stirred is it annoying you that I'm preaching like I am? And is, is it bothering you that I'm, I'm coming and saying, hey, wake up, wake, 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 wake up, son. Is it still there? Is it still here? Hey, come on, look me in the eye. Tell me, tell me that you still believe it. Tell me that it's still dear to you. Tell me that it's still in your heart. Tell me that it means something to you. Oh, somebody, hear me tonight. My greatest fear is that we are seeing our elders pass from our midst. And I see nobody on the horizon that's rising up saying, you know what? I want to be as faithful as Brother Bright was. I want to be as prayerful as Nelda Vickery was. You're too busy on your stinking Facebook. You're too busy with your carnal self. Oh, I feel like a dinosaur. I feel like an old fossil up here sometimes trying to preach to you what you ought to hold dear. And it makes it sound like I'm mad, but I'm not mad. It just there's something in me that aches tonight that said, wake up. Come on, wake up. Open your eyes and tell me that it still means something to you. Tell me that you'll give your life for it.